Welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things on the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have a review of Gareth Southgate's England squad, a Premier League preview with the big transfer stories ahead of deadline day, look ahead to the weekend fixtures for Leeds and Yeovil, and round two of Spin the Wheel. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Boys, we'll get straight back into it. Um, the England squad. I'm going to run through the squad with you. I'm really interested to get your views uh, on Gareth Southgate's squad and whether you think there's any bigger missions or any changes that you would make. So in goal, he's got Ramsdale, Sam Johnston and Jordan Pickford. Defence, he's got Ben Chilwell, Levi Colwell, Dunk, Mark Guady, Harry Maguire, Tamori, Kieran Trippier, Carl Walker. In midfield, Trent's been added. So we've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, Jude Bellingham, Conor Gallagher, Jordan Henderson, KP and Declan Rice. And then your forwards, you've got Eze, Phil Foden, Grealish, HK, James Madison, Eddie Nketiah, Marcus Rashford, Saka and Wilson. Laura, I'll come to you first. Um, I'm pretty happy with that squad, to be honest with you. The two glaring ones for me are, I'm not quite sure why Nick Pope's not fancied as one of the goalkeepers. Surely he should be in there over Sam Johnston. Um, maybe he's had a chat with him and he, Nick Pope said he doesn't want to be number three if he's behind Pickford and Ramsdale, but I can't imagine that's the case. So I don't know what's gone on there. Um, and in midfield, I would definitely have James Ward-Prowse over Jordan Henderson for a number of reasons. Um, obviously, his form has been good since he's joined West Ham. He was actually good for Southampton last year, even though they got relegated. And we know that Jordan Henderson's gone to Saudi now. So in a year's time, when we get to the Euros, he's certainly not going to have had a season at a good enough level to prepare for what that tournament brings. So I definitely would have had James Ward-Prowse in there. Um, I, I, you can say something similar about Calvin Phillips. He hasn't had a lot, an awful lot of football. But just speaking to you boys before we came on, there's not really anyone you can you can bring in for him, I don't think, at the moment. I, I was trying to think, who who could you bring in to replace Calvin Phillips in that midfield at the moment? Um, and the only one I could think of is really like Harrison Reed, who, who's a good little player. But I don't think you'd take Phillips out of the England setup for him. So um, I'm pretty happy with it. I know there's a... There's a bit of a thing with Southgate, isn't there, that he's got his favourites and he doesn't pick off form. But I don't think he should be picking his team based off the first three games of the Premier League season. I'm quite happy for him to pick based off um, performances for England over the last year and their league form over a year, um, which I think he's done pretty much um, with this squad. So I'm fairly happy with it, but I know T-Girl's probably got a bit more to say on it than I have. Uh, yeah, so let me just come in quickly. I would say I do agree with you, Laura, about about Calvin Phillips. The only thing I will say about him and Maguire's inclusion is, yeah, we get the fact that they are both good players for England, but it doesn't look like they'll be starting many games going forward. So if you're Southgate, okay, you 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 include these players in your squad. I think it's basically. Uh, an example of our lack of depth in those positions. But what I will say is those those players won't play at all this season. Maguire, like, Maguire is our fourth, fifth choice centre-half, especially if United are going to sign Johnny Evans. KP looks like he's going to be struggling for game time this season when, when they've signed Nunes and they've signed Kovacic and Rodri is just an absolute monster. He, he doesn't miss any minutes. So if you're looking at that for the, for the Euros next season, potentially you need to bring in other players. But like you say, 
and I completely agree with you. It's just the de- the, the strength and depth in those two particular positions isn't quite there yet. And, and a good example of that is actually the sort of the way they've laid out the um, the England squad announcement on Twitter and they put Trent in midfield, even though he's obviously a right back, but for England, he's a midfielder. Um, the only other thing I would say potentially is Watkins. I liked Watkins last at the end of last season. He was on fire at Villa. He's obviously got, got a hat-trick this season and a couple of assists. Um, so he sort of continued that form on under Emery. So I would probably have picked Watkins over over Wilson, who hasn't started yet for Newcastle. But I mean, yeah, there's not sort of there's not much in it between the players to be overly angry about it. No, I think Watkins is maybe slightly unlucky not to get in because he was quite good towards the back end of last year. But I think it also would have been harsh on Wilson to bring him out just because of a couple of games that he hasn't started. And he has scored this season as well. Um, and obviously he's been in and around the England setup since the World Cup, really. So I think it will take a little bit more than a couple of games on the bench for Wilson to come out. But thinking about it, you probably could have had um, Ollie Watkins over Enketia. That's an interesting inclusion because he hasn't done an awful lot, I don't think, for Arsenal. Unless I'm sometimes you say that and then you look back at the stats and he's got like 10 in his last 11 games or something, and I'm completely wrong. But what do you think on it, Murph? Would you have had anything different to that squad? Um, I, I think just on the Maguire and KP positions, like obviously everyone's going to be the same that people are getting picked for England off of not playing for their clubs. But Southgate seems to have a big kind of steer for England on personality and environment. And I just wonder, you had the likes of like Connor Cody used to get in England squads, probably not likely to play in major tournaments. Are they just big characters and names that have been in that Gareth Southgate dressing room now for the past sort of five, six years. Um, and maybe they're not going to start, you know, maybe Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice and one of the other midfielders will will play in there and KP isn't going to play. And maybe, you know, Levi Colwell might partner um, the, one of the other centre-backs in there. But you got to remember, it doesn't look like John Stones is in there with injury. Maybe Maguire would have been left out off the back of it. But I just wonder if they're two kind of personalities that they're going to keep in the squad and go to the Euros, even if they're the sort of like 21st, 22nd, 23rd men in that squad that go. And that's why they're being kept about there. Um, the only one I wondered if they had a slight chance to go in, I did actually ask you, Laura, if he's been uh, in an England squad before, was Jared Bowen. I thought that he's looked good for West Ham. Uh, thought he would have been good to to be in there. I actually thought it would be between him and maybe Solly March to go and be a comp- competition for the for the right side with Saka, but looks like he's gone for an extra striker in there with Inketia. They've put Madison in as a forward. I'd maybe have had him in that midfielder list um, if he's going to maybe play in the 10 with Bellingham and Rice behind him. So be really interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, Tomo. Yeah, so the only thing I would add is like, I, I do find these debates really interesting. And it like whenever I post the um, the England squad news on Twitter, you always get people commenting and replying, basically slagging off Southgate. But at the end of the day, the only sort of the players that we're mainly arguing about are sort of the fringe players in this squad, the sort of the, like you're saying, the 22nd, 23rd, 24th picks. I remember, was it the World Cup? We we, we all kicked off um, that James Madison didn't get a minute or, and it was just basically you're arguing about these players when there's, like the reality is there's not much difference between Wilson and Watkins or there's not much difference between 
um, Bowen and March and I mean, who 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 else would be in that position? Who sort of like Hodges? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like these guys. We we can argue until we're blue in the face, but the reality is, when push comes to shove at the Euros next year, we'll have we'll sort of have like 13, 14 players who will play all, the whole time. Um, I suppose the only sort of caveat to that is the the omission of Raheem Sterling, who he. He's not included this time round, but he's one who I think, if he has a great season at Chelsea, he'll be a starter next year at the Euros. Yeah, I would imagine if Sterling goes on and has a good season, he'll be in over the likes of Eze um, because he'll probably stand out more at Chelsea. But I get what you're saying about we normally argue in the toss over like the 23rd, 24, 25th picks. The one caveat to that is Harry Maguire because yeah. he normally plays. So it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, I think he'll play in this up in these upcoming internationals just because John Stones is injured. But when John Stones is back, I think it'll be very interesting to see whether he goes with Stones and Maguire or he brings in probably looking at Levi Colwell now if he's going to start at yeah. Chelsea every week. So that will be the interesting one because, like you say, Calvin Phillips, it doesn't matter too much. John, they're not going to they're not going to be playing. Harry Maguire normally does. So that's the one that's going to be the one to keep an eye on. But like I say, this is just, I think we've got another international break in October, maybe one in November. So we'll see how it unfolds. But um, yeah, certainly one to keep an eye on in the central defence position. Yeah. And just one final reflection. It's uh, interesting, isn't it? Everyone looks at the Premier League as like the strongest league in the world now, but you could argue our two best players are now out in other leagues with Bellingham tearing it up in Madrid and Kane get making a good start in a, uh, in Munich. So, yeah, I, I can't say I'm buzzing about international break. I don't think many people tend to be, but uh, always nice to watch England games when they are on. So, yeah, we've got two fixtures for them. Um, boys, let's look ahead to the Premier League fixtures for the weekend then. Um, selfishly, I want to start on Arsenal, Man United. Uh, a few of the England squad we just spoke about there will be taking part in that game. Tomo, I'll come to you first from a United point of view because... I've got absolutely no idea how that game's going to go. Um, I'm not particularly confident, but Arsenal aren't in the greatest form either. Um, I've got an idea. <laughs> United, United will lose. Like, of all, of all the positives that have come out of Eric Ten Hag's time at the club, which has obviously only been a year, 14 months, whatever it is now, um, one thing is for sure is we lose these big games away from home, or we certainly don't win them. Um what you will say about the two two teams is that they've started quite similarly in the fact that they've not both sort of hit the ground running, but they've managed to get points on the board, but quite scruffily, um, if I can use that word. Um, just I basically give it give the edge to Arsenal just basically because they're at home. United, it's a way record there, um, and. In terms of sort of the lineups, I would I would expect like Tommy Asu's back from suspension, so I'd expect him to come in at right back, and then you'd have White and um, Saliba um, at centre half. So I think Arsenal will sort of play, go back to sort of what they back to basics, and I just think I just think they're they're massive favourites. Laurie, yeah. We said last week it was a must-win for Man United. I wouldn't go quite as far as that for Arsenal this week, but it's a big, big game, particularly at home because they've dropped those points against Fulham. If they had beaten Fulham, you can almost you could you could almost facilitate a draw. And I think the most interesting thing about the game is what Arteta does for that team. I said on I think last week's pod 
that I think he needs to revert back to what worked well last season and put go back to Ben Ben White at right back, bring um, Gabriel back into that central defence. And it will be really interesting to see what he does in midfield and probably a good indication of how much he respects United as to whether that midfield is Rice, Party, and Odegaard or whether it's Rice, Havertz and Odegaard as it has been at the start of this season. Um, I expect Arsenal to win the game as well. I think they're just a better type team at the moment and they are at home and they'll be bang up for that game. But obviously it's a difficult one. And I just think Arteta just needs to simplify it a little bit, go back to what works best and I think if he does that, then he'll he'll come away with the three points on Sunday. But that's the that's the biggest thing for me, that midfield three and the defensive um, partnership in the middle. I actually agree with you, and I I think the same goes for the United midfield, because actually, away from home, I've got a feeling that he Martial comes out of the starting eleven, and he brings in a McTominay, and then he plays like Bruno either as a false nine or he'll play Bruno on the left and Rashford up top. So it's sort of like he did in some of the big games last year where he basically plays Bruno on the wing to shore things up a little bit. So I wonder if he does that. Um, that would be interesting to see. Like United, our record at the Emirates lately hasn't been great. They are they are unbeaten um, in the last five home games against us, and they've won four of them, drawn the other. A little betting tip for you. Um, if you like the over and under goals, basically in each of Arsenal's last 10 Premier League home games, um, each game has seen over 2.5 goals scored. So that might be sort of a nice little bet if you want to put on a, a little bet builder or something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, as always, Bruno will be will be the important sort of creative threat. He's created the most big chances in the Premier League this season with four. So you'd expect that sort of um, reliance on him to create um, to continue yeah go on Laura do you, do you know what just listening to you there I hate to say it I just I, I really fancy Arsenal yeah. like you're just talking through that United team there and talking about maybe a Bruno at false nine or shoving him out on the wing to shore things up in midfield I hate it I think you'll get overrun and get outclassed at the Emirates on Sunday and I, I really do fancy Arsenal I don't I don't want Arteta to overthink it too much but if they play anywhere near like what they've been playing over the last year on average, they should really win that game. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, I agree. I think Arsenal will win. I think they'll, they might go on and win quite comfortably the way that you guys have just spoken about it. I always, with my Man United sort of hat on, try and give them a chance, but hearing you both speak there, I think, I think Arsenal will go on and win it. I think our team's so unsettled at the moment. We don't, I couldn't tell you what our 11 is going to be. I, you know, I'm looking at, People doing Man United's predicted eleven versus Arsenal, and they've got they've got Cucurella starting left back, who currently plays for Chelsea and played for them last night. So that's kind of a bit of a situation that we're in at the minute, where we've got Varane out, we've got Shaw out, um, Casemiro will obviously play. We don't know whether we'll, he'll play Ericsson. Has he got the legs for it? So as Tomo says, does McTominay come in then? But then does he trust Anthony Martial um, and Rashford as the forward three? there or does he do something as you said where I think Mount might be used there in big games moving forward but Bruno went out wide right some games last year it just stinks like Ten Hag doesn't quite know what he's trying to do there he's got no big result against top nine side I think in 10 games which we spoke about last time um, and there's nothing that either of you have said there that that make me think that that could change. Tomo? 
you know what the most depressing thing about um, this fixture is for a United fan? Um, because we're obviously all looking, we all basically predict an Arsenal win, is the fact that the next two weeks is international break. And I absolutely hate going into international break off a defeat because you just sat there stewing as a United fan. Just like, that. Well, what you want when you lose a game, especially a big game, is like a midweek game. Um, yeah. to sort of win again. So yeah, I, I, I agree. Negative, I know, but I, I honestly can see sort of three one. Three one is my is my official prediction. So yeah, um, looking for a, a long two weeks international break. Yeah, in the. Dome. Let me try and shed shed some positivity on that for you. At least the international break, you get a bit of time to maybe bring Mason Bout back to fitness maybe bring a couple of additions into the club over the next two days and they can settle in over the over the course of the break. And also, when's the stri- when's the striker back? Hoysland. He's, he's meant to have been training this week, Laura. He's meant to be available. But apparently Man United are doing a bit of a weird thing where they're releasing training photos, but Hodgland's not in the photos, even though the Denmark manager came out and said that he's been speaking with Ten Hag and he's playing against Arsenal this weekend. Um, they've not given him a squad number yet either. It all... Feels like United are almost wanting to be like, oh, we're not sure if Hodgins available. Then all of a sudden, teams come out at half three on Sunday, and he's starting up front in the number nine shirt. Marginal well, I don't mind gains. that. Sometimes, gains. sometimes you need a script written, and if it, that could be a masterclass, if the teams come out at half three on Sunday and Hoysland's in there, even if he's on the bench, suddenly the whole nav- narrative spins and the energy spins, and it's all. We weren't expecting that. And suddenly if he starts, or even if he comes off the bench, do you remember when Mar- it might have been against, I can't remember if it was Arsenal or Liverpool, but Rashford. Uh, Martial's debut. Oh uh, uh, yeah, Martial was Liverpool, but Rashford did it against Arsenal as well. Well, didn't there he? you go. There you go. Do you know what I mean? And suddenly it could be the Hoysland show. So that could be a masterclass. If Hoysland's in the squad, starting on the bench, I, I would be having probably a different think about how I think that game could go if he's any good, which I've got no idea because I've only seen YouTube clips, but I'm assuming because of the price tag, he's, he should be half decent. Yeah. And the worry about the Hoodland clips as well is it's the same Denmark hat trick against Finland with him sliding in at the near post every time, <laughs> which when you've paid 70 million is and got less league goals than better uh, is deeply worrying. But Tomo, before we move on from that game, just want to touch on the kind of transfer news. I touched on Cucurella's being predicted to start left-back despite being a Chelsea player. Um, there's been an ongoing saga with Amrabat for United, just first on United, then Arsenal. Any kind of other major incomings you expect him? Yeah, the worrying thing about these United pursuits of Amrabat and Cucurella is that it clearly shows we're skint. <laughs> because... So, and obviously we're right on the edges on the edge of FFP, which is a new thing for United fans to have to deal with because we've always been used to basically being able to afford whoever we want. But now we're sort of going to Fiorentina and saying, yeah, we can't afford to pay 25 million for this for Amrabat, but we can get him on loan. And and a similar thing with this Cucurella stuff where we're trying to shave a couple million off his loan fee because because he played in the League Cup last night and now he's ineligible to play for us in that competition. Um, but I actually, I, I expect Cucurella or Reguillon to get done because clearly needs must. We need a left back. Um, I'm not expecting too much from either of those signings. And then Amrabat, Amrabat's an exciting one, but purely based on the fact that I thought he was class at the World Cup. But if I'm going to sit here and say... I've watched a lot of Fiorentina games last season. I would be telling a big fat lie. So, 
he was obviously good at the World Cup and he, he, he a little bit like Hoysberg, like we spoke about in the last pod, he, he'd be someone to sort of supplement Casemiro and he would actually be someone who you would look at starting away at the Emirates alongside Casemiro. Um, not that I think Eric Tan Hag sort of, sort of plays those um, pragmatic games too much, but yeah, so Cucurella and Amrabat loans, but that's sort of depressing. So depressing. Yeah. My my concern with Amrabat is everyone's saying that we desperately need him and he had a good World Cup and there's the clip of him sprinting back and tackling Mbappe. But why, if he is someone to come in and start for United, and I take Lauro's point on the last pod that maybe it isn't a starter, it's adding depth to the midfield and that sort of thing. But why are they willing to even entertain £2 million loans and obligation to buy for 20 well, mil? I'll tell you why. Go on. Because he's got one year left on his contract and he's not he's not signing a new one. All right, well, that clears that up. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Right. And any business for Arsenal? Anything uh, no, just outgoings, I think. Um, they've got Rob Hold. Yeah, just basically the run of the litters, like the Rob Holdings of this world. <laughs> sorry, so, Rob. So sorry. So, sorry, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Don't get caught in that minefield, Tigo. You'll be sending apologies out later to Rob and his family. <laughs> No, he's a better hairline than me now as well, so, so I'm on yeah. a struggle bus with that one. Very true. Guys, we'll move on to um, Liverpool-Villa, another game on Sunday, and one I am absolutely stunned has not been picked for TV, and they've gone for Crystal Palace Wolves. It is absolutely shocking decision from whoever's made it. Um, maybe the fixtures weren't released on that day for when it happened, and other fixtures have dictated that, but can't believe that's not on TV. Uh, Lauro, that's a really tasty tie, in my opinion. Uh, can I get your thoughts on the game, please? Well, it's a mouth-watering fixture, isn't it? I think that's the best fixture of the weekend for me. Um, and the best game, and the one that offers the biggest chance of having an awful lot of goals in it, and a lot of attractive football. So I echo what you say there. How on earth that's been left? We knew Villa were going to be a good side this year. They were good at the end of last year. How can you pick... I guess Villa are there because they're in the Europa League tonight or whatever it is, and they've got to play on Sunday. But why aren't all Prem games that aren't three o'clock on Saturday shown? They've got to be. They're too big not to be, especially some, a game like Liverpool-Villa. They're doing themselves a disservice and shooting themselves in the foot by not showing games like that, or even give it to another channel, whatever you need to do. Um, but the game, I'm not going to... I haven't got much insight into the game in terms in terms of how I think it's going to go because I just think that could be I think we could be missing out on about four on a four all there. I think it could be an absolute humdinger of a game. Um, I think Liverpool are susceptible at the back and I think they're good going forward and I think Villa have shown getting beat five at Newcastle but then um, looking good in the other games that they can um, do damage, particularly that Diaby as way away from home. I think he scored in both fixtures so. Um, I'm gutted. I'm not going to be watching it, and I think it'll be. Um, I think it'll be a high-scoring game. And if you want a prediction from me, I'm going to say four all. Can I just wow. jump in there? I didn't. I didn't realize that game was not on TV, and I just think that's an absolute fucking disgrace. Yeah. And honestly, you're. I'm spending what the best part of 150 quid a month on all of these channels. And they can't get Liverpool and Villa on TV, a game that I would absolutely love to watch. Like Darwin Nunes, Darwin Nunes, banging form, probably will start. Oh, uh, I know why it's not on TV. 
I know why it's not. It's, it would have been a Saturday game, wouldn't it? And Villa will be playing tonight against Hibs on Thursday, which would have changed it to Sunday. So yeah, yeah, pa- no, no, that's all well and good. But what you're saying then is, if they weren't in the Europa League, then it would have then then they would have picked that for Saturday three pm. So it wouldn't have been on TV anyway. So whoever whoever's at Sky and BT, whoever the fuck, <laughs> like they needed to choose that game, and like Palace and Wolves, like it's an that, that's an even bigger issue. Palace and Wolves. Forget Liverpool Villa. Why is Palace and Wolves on? Yeah, the, no uh, can, can either of you think of a worse game in the Premier League than that with less riding on it? Yeah, it will get Wolves and Everton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to get less than thirty seconds on this pod. So, um, yeah, I, I can't, I can't think of a reason why. To be honest, so, and, anyway, just cut, let me come back to the game quickly. So, um, obviously, it's at Anfield. Anfield. So, and. And Liverpool have had a sneaky sort of good start to the season, good good end back end to last season. They're unbeaten in the last five against Villa, um, and over the last ten games they beat them seven times and and drawn once. So they rarely lose. I think in that ten games they did lose seven two, um, which is one to remember. But I think that was at Villa Park. Um, Musa Diaby looks like a player. Done. He's created the second most big chances out of everyone in the Premier League so far. Um, the reason he's not getting as many assists potentially is because Ollie, Ollie Watkins is the man who has missed the, the most big chances in the Premier League. He's missed four big chances so far. So, which is great for my FPL because he's been he's been in there since day one. Um, my prediction is, is that Liverpool will will win a tight game 2-1. Um, but yeah, my overriding emotion right now is it's sort of pissed me off a little bit that I can't watch it. Don't don't worry too much about the stats of, of Villa at, um, at Anfield, though, because that's Villa of old. I think this year, for the first time, we can talk about Villa in the same breath of, as, you know, fringe European teams. And that's why it's such an interesting game, this time more so than previous seasons. So, again, we've said it a thousand times now, absolutely gutted it's not on TV and someone needs to be sacked for that. Yeah, who, what's his name? Barney from Sky. Barney Francis, fuck yeah, off. Gone. Barney gone, and whoever's whoever's renamed BT Sport to TNT Sport as well, you can you can head off as well for that. I think Barney Francis left quite a long time ago, but I will distance myself from those comments, and I'm still available for Sky Sports podcasts at any time. <laughs> yeah, obviously the uh, the comments are Thomas Gallagher, and not to be affiliated with Alex Murphy or Tom Lawrence. Um, just on that game, I actually think that it's going to be a humdinger as well, which no one will be surprised at. But I fancy Villa to go and get a result there and I fancy Ollie Watkins to grab a goal as a bit of a, you should have picked me Gareth. So I'm going to go for Villa to win away at Liverpool. Van Dijk's not going to be in the side. They obviously had that buzz of emotion after the Newcastle game. But yeah, I'm going to go for, for Villa to win that. Quickly, can I jump in with some breaking transfer news? Please do. Sergio Reguilón has been given permission... To go for his Man United me- medical. I'm speechless. <laughs> wow. So. No, no, let's not talk about it now. Let's move on to Brighton, Newcastle, because that's, we need that, that one needs to be sort of left stewed. Yeah. Okay. Well, ju- just before we move on to that game, Tomo, I just want to talk about the transfers at Liverpool and Villa. Villa seem to have got their business done um, and are looking really strong. Liverpool, I'm seeing trying to get a midfielder in, grabbing back from Bayern being linked, but also the the kind of big news story about Salah to Saudi. Can you get the latest on that, please? 
Yeah, so Grav and Birch looks like that will happen if they can bring in, if Bayern can bring in a replacement. Um, and that replacement looks like it will be Jao Polinia, um, which is interesting. Well, Grav and Birch is interesting in the fact that I'm surprised Eric Ten Hag hasn't gone for him because Eric Ten Hag seems to have gone for every single player he's ever worked under um, or worked with. Um, and Salah... We've all spoke about the Saudi Pro League's transfer window doesn't shut until the 20th of September. So that, that there's plenty of time for that one to rumble on. I actually, my prediction is that will happen um, because as we've seen over the course of the summer, what the Saudis want, they usually get. So, and it just sort of like, let's be honest, if you, if they come in with 150 million quid bid for a 31 year old Mo Salah, I know Salah's world class and he is gravy, but thirty-one is thirty-one. Sort of, he's not he's not getting any younger, so I think they would accept that, and um, he will go. That's my prediction. With the the um, Salah one, Tomo, do you think it's dependent on Saudi getting that done sort of by lunchtime tomorrow to give Liverpool a chance to sign someone, or do you? Because I know the Saudi window goes on beyond the. UK one. Do you think if the money's right, then Liverpool will just ju- take the judgment to bank the money and look to get through to January without Salah then? Yeah, that's what I think will happen. Um, I I don't think there's enough time to get a decent replacement in anyway, and they probably they probably want more time to sort of um, assess their options with that money. Um, I think they've got a youngster. They they brought a youngster on, didn't they? Again um, against Chelsea for Salah that made Salah kick off. Can't remember his don't. name. Yeah, so he he'll probably get some minutes. They've got they have got strength and depth in those positions. I was just um, going to say I don't think they need to sign anyone if they're offering over 100 million for a 31 year old. Do you know what I mean? Take it. They've got Yotta, they've got Diaz, they've got Gakpo, they've got sort of Harvey Elliott that can play those positions. Maybe the young lad as well, Darwin Nunes. I don't think they need to sign anyone. I think they're strong there, and I think it would be. I'd hate to see Salah leave the Premier League because I love watching him. But if you're getting over 100 million for a 31 year old player, I think you've, you've probably got to take it. I think with that as well, it'd be interesting if Salah goes, you've got Kane and Salah have left the Prem then in a summer where every other league saying the Prem's stronger than ever and have the financial pool that they can't deal with. So it'd be really, really interesting to see if he goes. But yeah, looking forward to that fixture. But unfortunately, as we've already touched on, you'll have to wait for match the day two to watch that. Um Jump to Saturday, guys, and probably the fixture of the day there, Brighton-Newcastle. Um, Laura, I'm going to come to you first for, for this one as well. I've actually got not a single clue on that game. Well, let me enlighten you. Um, two good sides, obviously, but here's what... I'll give you my prediction, and then I'll tell you why. I think Newcastle are going to win that game, and I think it'll be something like 2-0. And the reason is, it, Brighton obviously a very good team, well-managed. They've impressed us all over the last couple of years. But if there's one chink in the armour that I've noticed, and I'll give you some examples, is I think they can be susceptible to sharp counter-attacking football and players with the ability to attack at pace. Now, looking back at at the end of last season, they got beat 5-0 at home by Everton or 5-something at home to Everton that basically relegated Leeds. And a few of those goals were like that. And I think not too dissimilar, the West Ham one as well. And then you look at Newcastle, who are obviously a very good team who can score goals from all sorts of different um, areas of the pitch but every time you watch Newcastle every single game they always have the same chance once or twice whereby the ball's turned over in midfield the ball gets played through and you suddenly find 
Gordon or Almiron or now Harvey Barnes through one go at the angle and they have either got a shoot or they square it to Wilson or Isaac. And I can just see that scenario um, arising at the Amex on Saturday. So although there's not a lot in it and we all know Brighton are a big team now, just remember Newcastle in the Champions League, they're even better. They did even better than Brighton last year. So I think I'm back in Newcastle to bounce back from the Liverpool result and get an impressive win at the Amex on Saturday. But obviously it's a close game. Tommy? Um, yeah, so I do think Newcastle will get a positive result. Whether it will be a win, um, I'm not 100% sure. Basically, they've drawn they've drawn at the Amex um, twice in the last two seasons and they're unbeaten in the last four games against Brighton. So they've got a decent sort of record under Eddie Howe against Brighton. My prediction, will it will be a score draw, Desmond. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're completely right. I don't think Eddie Howe's too proud to sort of sit in and almost not, they won't do a West Ham on Brighton, but I can see them sitting in, soaking up the pressure and um, sort of shithousing their way to a positive result. And obviously they've got so much more quality going forward and in midfield than West Ham. So you'd expect, um, yeah, I expect Newcastle to get a positive, positive result. What I will say is a, a I wanted to shout out um, Pascal Gross, uh, 32-year-old Brighton midfielder, got his first ever call-up to the Germany squad um, today. And I was having a look before the game, um, oh, sorry, before before the podcast, and he has made the most chances in the Premier League this season. Not big chances, as I was talking about before. He's made the most chances um, from centre-mid, and that's 14, 4.8 a game. So... Um, yeah. really pleased. Yeah, really pleased for him and think he's a really good player. But yeah, my prediction is a score draw to all. Okay. And I I'm gonna I'm gonna go draw as well and just firmly sit on the fence for that because I don't know how to call it. But what I'd like to touch on, guys, um, is Tomo, some news that seems to be shocking football a bit is that Ansu Fati of Barcelona is being linked with going to Brighton. Um yeah. doesn't look like the normal kind of bright and mould of buying someone relatively unknown and bringing them on and developing and selling them on. Um, I know he's had kind of injury issues and things like that, but seems like quite a big name on big wages to bring into what seems like a really settled and sort of well, well-rounded dressing room. Yeah. I, I've had, I've been back and forth a little bit with that. With When the news broke last night that they were going to get him at first, I was like, I did my silly sort of like, Oh, I'm excited to see like, the new Messi and like he was basically dubbed the new Messi um, a couple of years ago when he broke onto the scene. Obviously, he's had some injuries, but yeah. So at first, I was excited to see him in the prem, and I thought it'd be a really good signing. And then when you sort of sit back and think about it, you're like, why is this player going to Brighton? I know Brighton are um, up and coming team. They're in the Europa League. Um, Deserby's obviously a top manager and well regarded, but. Fatty's not base. He's basically not played for like two years, and it's because of injuries. And like you said, he's coming on. He's coming in on big wages. I think Brighton are going to pay eighty percent of his wages, which is one hundred and sixty grand a week. And their highest paid earner at the minute is Lalana on ninety grand a week. And then obviously their club captain Dunk is on eighty grand a week. So you're sort of looking at it, and if Ansu Fatty comes comes in now. And then it starts raining and getting cold in December and he just 
he sort of fucks it off a little bit. I could see some dressing dressing room bust ups, and it sort of it messes up their dressing room sort of equal equilibrium um, and harmony. So one to look out for, but one after doing a little bit of thinking, I don't think it will be a good signing. But a little bit like Renato Sanchez at um, Swansea. Yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to uh, seeing how he does. Any other business for Newcastle being talked about, Tomo, at all? I've not seen anything of note. So it looks like they've got their business done nice and early, like a well-run club. We'll move forward to... No digs at United there. Um, we'll move forward, or backwards, I should say, to Friday night football. So uh, first Premier League game at Kenilworth Road, Luton versus West Ham. Um, I've listened to the... Footballers football podcast with Wilson and Antonio, um, and and he's sort of saying it's going to be a hard game, and they're a very physical side who love a battle based on what they've seen from so far. Uh, my initial thoughts are West Ham's form and how Luton have looked so far. That West Ham go and get a decent and comfortable win there. Uh, Tomo, can I get your thoughts on that one, please? Yeah, so I completely agreed with you until I sort of really thought about it, and then I just thought Luton are all wrong for West Ham. Like Luton are just gonna sit there. They're basically like West Ham, they just they just want teams like Brighton to come at you and Chelsea to come at you, dominate the ball, and then they can pick you off. Whereas I don't think Luton will do that. And I, I fancy this game. I, I obviously Luton haven't been very good this year, uh this season so far, but it's a Friday night game under the lights, Kenilworth Road. The Luton fans will be going bar me. I feel like they'll they'll use this fixture fixture to sort of restart their season. It'll be like a the opening game of the season for them. So for some reason, I'm predicting a Luton win. Um, just, I just fancy, I just fancy them to get off the mark um, on Friday. Yeah. Laurie? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see the scenario that Luton, I think if Luton can nudge ahead um, and all the things we've spoken about before, first game back at Kenilworth Road, use the furore and the extra 10% maybe that the crowd and the buzz and the occasion can give them, then maybe they can see it out. My only worry is that from the two games that I've seen, and I know they've both been against very good sides, but the, I, I just think the golfing quality has been so big and so wide. I don't know that even, even the Kenilworth Road thing, if West Ham are going to go there fully fit with your Bowens and your Ward Prowses and your Antonios and your Ben Ramas, I just worry that they might just have a bit too much. So, I can see the I can see the home win under the lights. I can see, you know, Sky Sports afterwards, Luton get off the mark, etc. But from what I've seen from Luton so far, I, I'm you know I'm probably going to sit on the fence here and say it could go either way um, because I'm just not sure that they've got the quality to cope with what West Ham will bring. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to stay with with West Ham to win that game. I watched the. Chelsea Luton game. Um, I think we already touched on the last pod about how that could be a cricket score on a different night. I think there's really nice stories in there about their players coming through the football league and staying with them and representing them at Premier League level. But some of the stuff that happened in their their first game of the season um, against Brighton and then against Chelsea, I really think that they're one of the weakest teams to ever play in the Prem. I don't think their owners or their manager ever thought they were going to go up last year till it happened. I just, I can't see them getting too many points. I, I think I said again, I tweeted that I'm expecting them to go down on the least ever points possible and I don't foresee them winning at home against West Ham. So yeah, I'm going to go for a West Ham win in that one. 
Um, right, boys, we'll look, at, look around at the rest of the Premier League fixtures. So first one, Sheffield United, Everton. So um, last night had the normal debate of I wanted to watch football on TV. Uh, the wife wants to watch something of a series. So we start watching the series. Uh, she falls asleep after half hour and I get to put the footy on. <laughs> I switch on the footy and at half time it's 1-0 Doncaster against Everton. They bring off the bench at half time, Ashley Young and Beto. Uh, and they go on to win the game 2-1 with goals for Beto and Dan Juma. Looks like they might have a striker who can score a goal, albeit against bottom of League Two. He looked a handful. Tomo, can I get your views on Sheffield United-Everton? Have they now got their goal scorer to keep them up? I, I, I don't know about that, but he did look he did look good, to be fair. And I thought Everton, the, I, I, I was like you, I switched on in the second half, and I thought they looked, um, albeit vulnerable and albeit against Doncaster. Um, they look sort of half decent going forward. Um, Beto, I think he hit the post um, with another chance as well. Um, and I like Dan Juma. I think he's um, he's a bit of a character. I liked I liked what he did when he signed for the club with the whole snake emojis because obviously he was supposed to sign in January and then backed out last minute and went to Tottenham. And he sort of um, embraced the whole snake thing, which I quite enjoyed. But actually, on the game itself, I think it's a massive game for both teams. Um, probably bigger for Everton in the sense of Sean Dyche and Sean Dyche's future. Um, but yeah, both teams, zero points so far. 20th versus 17th. Um, it's, a it's a difficult one to predict. I'll, I'll probably go 1-1, Beto, last-minute equaliser. But it's, it's, if Everton lose that game, it is looking long for Sean Dyche because they've got Arsenal at home next game as well. So if they lose that one and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, maybe Dyche, Dyche goes. What are we talking about? Everton look half decent going forward against Doncaster. I mean, if they don't, I'm not sure they'll ever win a Premier League game again. Honestly, if they don't beat Sheffield United, they're done. They're down. Maybe below like your Lutons and, and your, well, and your Sheffield United's. I'm sorry, but God, I mean, <laughs> I can't believe how pathetic that is. Beto's coming on. What a player. Do you see him against Doncaster? Well, we didn't, we didn't say that, did we? We didn't say that. No, but that's, that's the impression we're giving off. I, <laughs> no, I'm not having it. They... Prem, you know, that league they're supposed to be playing in and picking up points in that they've got zero in so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, nil, nil. Horrible game. Yeah, it's a valid point actually on Beto. Um, he scored, he missed a chance with his left foot, which nearly went out for a throw-in and it looked a bit shaky for him. He then got put through and scored and Lee Hendry screamed, welcome to the Premier League. And I thought, I'm not sure an equaliser in the second half of the League Cup at the keep moats, quite welcome to the Premier League. But uh, yeah, no, he, look, he looks like a character, but I'm looking forward to seeing him play. But what, what I will say, can I just quickly just jump in to, yeah, of course. to defend ourselves? Um, look, Everton, they've been starving for some positivity, haven't they? So then you've got this player who's, who's been bought for 30 million euros. He comes on and makes a difference. He looks like a big unit. So And they 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 desperately need a striker, don't they? They desperately have needed a striker. So, But yeah, I do get your point. Doncaster are, in, are three divisions below. Um, they've spent lots... 
they've spent lots of thirty million pounds on players. This isn't a recent thing, and it's not a Sean Dyche thing. They narrowly missed out on relegation last year. They did the same the year before under Frank Lampard. They've tried and tried with the strikers. The recruitment is horrendous. See Chenk Tossen. See Neil Morpai. And I, I, I've not seen the lad better, and I'll give him a chance. But I'm pretty sure we'll be sat here in six months' time, and he'll be loaned out to Fenerbahce. <laughs> yeah, all right. OK, I actually kind of have agree, half agree with you. And, uh, yeah, horribly run club. So I hope they get relegated. <laughs> Nil, nil then, and we'll move on. Uh, Burnley, Tottenham, Loro, two teams who I know you watch quite closely. So interested on your thoughts on on if Tottenham carry on their good form there? Well, I'm biased, aren't I? Because I'm I'm a Tottenham fan, really. These days, I'm all aboard the big <laughs> and bust. So um, I just see I see Spurs rolling into an unorganised Burnley side at the weekend and winning in quite a high scoring game. I think Burnley will get one, but I think it could be 4-5-1. Um, and I was hoping it was going to be the game that we see Richarlison get off the mark, but he's got an injury next to him on FPL, which I'm a bit worried about because he's in my midfield, and I don't know why I did that. Don't ask me why. Um, and I'm hoping that the goals don't come from Madison, really, because I took him out when I wildcarded the other day. So from an FPL point of view, I'm interested in it, but mainly from a, um, a casual Spurs fan now, I'm interested in seeing big and roll on and get another three points at Turf Moor. And like I said the other day, the first seven fixtures for uh, for Burnley look really, really hard and they don't really know what the best team is or the best shape is or I don't think really what they're doing at the moment. So um, we'll have to see. But 4-1 Spurs. Yeah, well, okay. yeah so obviously big and that is um, first big setback um, on Tuesday um, going out of the Carabao Cup. Already, he made nine changes. Um, so clearly, Tottenham BT not quite at it. Um, Do you know what he said about that? Yeah, he said what he said. No regrets in life, mate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've heard him love say it. that. He was like, he was like, yeah, he's like, life's too short to have regrets. No regrets. Words to live by. Yeah, well, as N Dubs finally uh, famously sang, but I. I'm astounded at him making that many changes. He said on the um, Football Daily podcast that the reason he did it is that it would be three games inside 10 days or a week for his players. Uh, he needed a chance to look at some of the other players. We spoke about, is the EFL Cup a important competition for sides? I think if there's one side in the whole of England who that should be important to, it's Spurs. They've got this, Spurs are going to be Spursy and Spurs are going to Spurs and haven't won a trophy apart from the Audi Cup in however many years a real opportunity there with a new fresh side to go on a bit of a cup run, potentially get a day out at Wembley. Imagine the euphoria for Spurs of winning a trophy. Harry Kane's left and they win a trophy under Big Ange. And I thought he took that far too unseriously than what he should have. Um, and now they're out of another one of the two competitions that they're able to win this year. If, we, if we're thinking that they're not going to go on and win the Prem. So I thought that was a bad move for Big Ange and the first blot on his book for me. Tomo? What I will say as well is that it made no sense given they have no European football this year. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, I do understand managers bringing in their B team or squad players for these early rounds of the Carabao Cup, but they're playing Fulham away. Fulham are no mugs. And okay, fine margins in football, they lost the penalty shootout. So actually, if they win the penalty shootout, are we saying big Ange masterclass? Then then it sort of changes the narrative a little bit. But I just thought 
play play if you if you make maybe three or four changes so you can rest some of your bigger players but you've sort of got the core of first teamers in and why why are we talking about these premier league players like two or two or three games into the season as if they need a rest like they're going on most of them are going on into international break in a week so most of them will get a rest anyway so i just thought it made no sense really and um yeah, clear, clearly it was the wrong decision because they lost. But like you say, fine margins because they it was a penalty. They, they drew, they drew, didn't they? No, they got knocked out, so they lost. But did they draw the game? They no, drew in minutes. Yeah, that's not I a think... thing. That's not uh, a thing. No, 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 no. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I know you won the EFL Cup last year, so you're silverware holders. But no one really <laughs> gives a shit about that trophy. And um, who says Big Ange ain't going for the Premier League? I'm sorry. A couple of seasons ago, Jose Mourinho got him to the final of one of those cups and he got sacked before it. So he knows, Ange Postacoglu, that he needs to do well in the Premier League. So I'm sure he would have liked to have gone further in that competition. I think the team he put out was more than capable of beating Fulham. OK, they got knocked out on penalties, but get off his back. The guy's going for the Premier League and he's going about it in a sterling, sterling manner, in my opinion. And Yeah, uh, apologies to speak foul of your big Ange, but... Question for you to finish before we move on then. And think before you jump in here, because it's Tottenham. Would Tottenham fans rather win the EFL Cup or finish top four this year? Finish top four. Tomo? Oh, God. Honestly, Spurs fans must must be craving a trophy. You've got to. But obviously, your Daniel Levy's of this world and money men, they'll obviously want the Champions League. And I suppose in terms of transfers and recruitment and stuff, it will be better for exactly. next summer. Think about the big, Think about the bigger picture. The, the, if top four finish allows you to go on then, and you, you've done, year one is good, top four, Champions League, and you can start recruiting players of that ilk that want to be in the Champions League again. Forget the Mickey Mouse Cup. Like I said the other day, if you get there by hook or by crook and you would find yourself in the semi-final, then play your best team. But don't bother now. Imagine if last night he'd have played Madison and he got injured. Everyone would be going, what are you doing? Yeah, but you just yeah. and and he could come out and say, "Well, I'm trying to win a cup competition, mate. No regrets." Yeah, and well, look, if there's any Tottenham fans listening, get in contact. Let us know, win a trophy, or qualify for top four. Uh, and yeah, we'll we'll see what you have to say, guys. We'll move on to the next game then that we want to quickly touch on: uh, Chelsea Forest. Tomo, I'm going to come to you. Have you decided yet to bring Nico Jackson into your fantasy team, or have you brought Sterling in? And don't lie to me. I haven't. I haven't looked at my fantasy team because because it was thoroughly depressing last week. Um, I'll look at it tomorrow. But yeah, Nico Jackson obviously got one goal against Luton, which was as we spoke about on Tuesday, um, pretty par for the course. And actually, you're sort of hoping, you, like if you're a Nico Jackson owner, you're hoping he gets more than a goal. Um, but yeah, it's the battle of the strikers, really, isn't it? Nico Jackson um, looks like a scruffy player one who misses quite a lot of chances um but he, but the thing is he has had a lot of chances and then you've got um Loro's main man Teo or Tewo Awani um yeah I know yeah sorry for my pronunciation but yeah and if he scores he obviously moves past Salah and Adebayor um to hold the most I think it's the African record for to score in the most consecutive Premier League games um, which puts him up there with the greats, doesn't it? So I fully expect him to score, to be honest. And um, 
But I do think Chelsea will win 2-1. Yeah, I don't really have a lot to add to that. I, um, on this rare occasion, agree with everything Tegel's just said. I expect Chelsea to win the game ultimately, but I do expect Tewo to go on and break that African goal-scoring consecutive record. And I can't believe that... I know I said this the other day, that I think maybe Tottenham should look at him. I can't believe he's not been linked anywhere. Imagine if, like, I don't know, imagine if an English player had done that. Do you know what I mean? Like, he'd be... I remember uh, Joe Willock did it for Newcastle. And all of a sudden, his price tag went up 10 times. I know they ended up actually signing him. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love Tay and I'd like to see him get a big move. But in this fixture, I think um, I think you're right. I think Chelsea will use that, that loot and win to pull away and start winning a few on the bounce, hopefully, for them. Yeah, and may, maybe Cubs have come in for Tay and made initial kind of uh, approaches. And Forrest have just said he is not for selling. You can't put a price on big Tay So... Yeah, be interested to see that. I, I too think a Chelsea home win. Um, I'm still deciding whether to make one final change in the fantasy and get rid of uh, Ollie Watkins for Nico Jackson. But Lauro keeps putting me off and so far he, he's probably been right. So yeah, interesting that one. Uh, quick run through of the other games in the Prem. Uh, Palace v Wolves, who've now got humongous pressure on to perform at two o'clock Sunday after we touched on. Uh, Liverpool Villa not being on TV, so fully expecting that to be nil-nil. Wolves obviously got off the mark last time with three points from a late goal from the big man up front. Palace have got Eze, everyone's waiting for him to explode and he's made it into the England squad. So yeah, that game. Brentford host Bournemouth, expecting Brentford to go on and win that, if honest. I think Mbwemo will probably be looking to add to his goal scoring and I think they'll have too much for Bournemouth. And then City v Fulham, who we're not going to talk about City too much more. We said on the last pod, they win games too much. There's no, no, nothing interesting to say about them while they're in this form. They're just signing Mateus Nunes from Wolves to add to their already strong midfield. They're probably going to win four or five nil. People will be triple captain in Haaland. Uh, but I think the less said on that fixture, the better. Let's move on to EFL chaps. Laura, I'm going to come to you for Leeds v Sheffield Wednesday because you were absolutely buzzing when we did earlier in the week pod off the back of Leeds' result. Sheffield Wednesday looked like they can't get a result, buy a win, score a goal. So I'm fully expecting you to to demolish them at the weekend. As am I. Um, excuse uh, exclusive now from Loro Football News. <laughs> Leeds have just completed the signing of Ilya Gruev from Bundesliga side Werder Bremen um, for an undisclosed fee. I think he's a central midfielder. So uh, yeah, adding strength in numbers there. Like I said the other day, I think we've I, I think we've probably got the best. We've certainly got the best front line in the league. I think we're on our way to having the best team in the league. We signed Jed Spence this week as well, who. Um, you know, championship viewers will remember from his time at Nottingham Forest down that right-hand side behind Brennan Johnson and getting them promotion under Steve Cooper. I think he's a really good acquisition for us and it, it it's just all falling into place. And I've said this before, sometimes you can have such a home banker, when, uh, several Wednesday rock bottom, by the way, no points, that it doesn't happen. But I think this will be breaking goal-scoring records on Saturday and I think it will be a goal fest and... I would predict a 6-0 Leeds United win. Wowzers. And you've got, obviously, that front four that you spoke about who look electric. Um, you've signed this midfielder from Werder Bremen. I've seen that Jed Spence has come in uh, on loan as well. So you, you're feeling that the squad's pretty much there now and you're ready for a, a title charge? 
Yeah, I, th- I don't know who this Werder Bremen guy is. I've ne- I won't lie, I've never heard of him. I felt like we needed a little bit more beef in midfield, but we'd already signed Ethan Ampadu, who's looked really, really good. Um, and we've got young Archie Gray that's been playing as well. So, yeah, we've brought him in. We've had, I think we've been linked with um, Kenny McLean at Norwich and also Glenn Kamara, who um, you probably would have seen at Rangers, who are two good midfielders as well. But that 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 sort of area of the pitch for Leeds now is just to keep us ticking because we've got so much firepower going forward in Nontos. You, we've got Nonto, Sinistera and Piro who will probably play. But then we've got Somerville and Dan James to come off the bench. Um, or for squad rotation or for whatever. And obviously, everyone knows the championship's a long, hard, grueling season. Quite often, you can be playing Saturday, Tuesday. And um, I just don't see anyone else with that kind of um, strength in depth, like I said. And we've just sent Sam Greenwood out on loan to Middlesbrough as well. And I think that rings volumes, that we're sending our players out to teams like Middlesbrough on loan. That's how good we are. Um, at the start of the season, Middlesbrough are quite fancied. I think they're like certainly the top five favourites to win the league. So... I'm fully expecting us to beat Sheffield Wednesday and go from strength from strength um, there. And I'm looking forward already to like the Le- Leicester fixture because that could be a huge clash of the Titans this year. Yeah, it looks like Leicester are obviously 100%. Leeds are going to be hot on their tail now. It looks like those fixtures could be massive for for the league. But um, just very quickly, Laura, I saw as well Leeds knocked out midweek uh, in the EFL Cup. I think you said that you weren't too interested in that cup competition. You wanted to Leeds go out playing well and maybe go out on penalties. I think it ended up being that way in a 20 penalty thriller against Salford. Any change of heart on that or just gave gave a few people a run out and not not interested in, in about it in the slightest? No, it's exactly what I said. You, you're quite right. I said, uh, don't disgrace ourselves, play well, but get knocked out on penalties. I think we had 36 shots on goal. So in effect, it is a really good training friendly match and we don't have to play in the Mickey Mouse Cup ever again this season. So... Um, I'm more than happy to concentrate on the league now that I think we've got a very good chance of winning it. Good stuff. Um, just a couple of other fixtures, guys, from the EFL, which I'll just quickly cover. Bolton versus Derby. Obviously, Bolton got off to a flyer, then got beat by Wigan and drew against Burton. But Derby, I think, had a massive win against Peterborough. Martin Waghorn scored a first-half hat-trick. So, Lauro, quite a, a mouth-watering game again. Um, I actually fancy Derby for that one. Yeah, I think it would be... <laughs> All games are big games. I think it'd be a brilliant one for Paul Warren to win at Derby. They're only three points off top. Not that you should really look at the table at this early on in the season. But when you want to win a league, which Derby fans will be expecting this year, you normally win it in periods. There's normally a period of games where, whereby you, out of 15 games, you win 10, 11, 12 of them. City do it every year, normally after Christmas. And I just think that if Derby can go to Bolton away, pick up three points that could be the catalyst for them to kick on and I think it would probably give them the respect more earn the respect more of the rest of the league as well um, so big game Bolton lost 4-0 at home to Wigan the other day as well so I think Derby will be full of confidence thinking they can get something there and um, yeah big game for both both will be wanted to win it they're probably the two biggest clubs in the league but I think Derby stand out a little bit like a sore thumb in that league at the moment they've had their they've had their year down there and they really do need to go back up so um I'm hoping for a Derby win because like we've said before we uh, we know Paul Warren from Yeovil and he's a he's a good bloke been on a good podcast before and hopefully he can uh, get promoted from League One for the third time yeah well said uh, and then League League Two, um, Tranmere host Wrexham. I saw that it was at half 12 and thought, oh, it must have been picked as like the BT Sport uh, fixture. Maybe they've got some of the League Two action there. But um, 
it isn't. It turns out that it's a derby game, which and it, I turned my head out at first, but then realised it's only 40 minutes between the two from North Wales across to Merseyside. Been moved forward to 12.30 on police's recommendation. Obviously, Wrexham haven't made the best start, Laurie, with people thinking that their Hollywood money would take them up. Just reflections on that game. Yeah. I mean, when you're from Yeovil, 42 minutes, I mean, that's about as close to derbies you can ever expect. I think the further you go out the country, normally people's derbies, you can almost see the stadium from looking out the other one. But um, yeah, no surprise that's being classed as a derby. I just... I think with Wrexham, you just said it there, the Hollywood money. They haven't really... They were favourites at the start of this season. Bearing in mind, they've come up from the National League. They were favourites. They're not anymore. And we're only five or six games in. And I just think people are expecting the Hollywood money thing to be a thing. They haven't really signed anyone. Like They've made a couple of decent transfers, but nothing, nothing major. And although their team looked ridiculously good in the National League, it doesn't look ridiculously good in League Two. It looks pretty good. And I would expect them to be in the upper echelons of the league. But unfortunately, in League Two, you've got a lot of other good teams as well. You've got teams like MK Dons that have come down. You've got Notts County that went up with them and signed David McGoldrick. You've got Mark Hughes's Bradford. You've got the Class of 92 Salford. You've got your teams like Gillingham that are well set this year. You've got Mansfield who finish up there every year. So it's not going to be as easy as just winning the league. It's, obviously, it's early days. I wouldn't say they're struggling. I think they've been fine. I think they'll settle into it. And I think there'll be somewhere in the playoffs. But I don't anticipate them getting promoted in the automatic spots this year. I said at the start of the year, I think it will be Gillingham and Stockport and one other. Um, Stockport have started off slow, but I, I fancy them to come good. Gillingham have won four out of five. And for me, I think Nottingham, um, Notts County look quite ominous, actually, because, like I said, maybe Wrexham haven't spent the Hollywood money, but Notts County have bought in a Hollywood player, David McGoldrick, because he was one of the top scorers with 20-plus in League One last year with Derby. So um, that must be quite scary for, for defences at, at that level, I would imagine. So I think that, that league is... You can't ever call a result, but I think it's starting to shape up something like what you might see towards the end of the season. MK Dons are right up there, Jidding are right up there, Notts County are right up there, and you need a few to come up the pack. And I expect Wrexham to be one of them, but not to get any automatics. Yeah, Wrexham six points from five games, scored 14, conceded 14, uh, won one, lost one, drawn three, um, had some high-scoring games. So... The, the really interesting thing with that is is that nine if they had three more points on nine, they'd be in fifth. If they had three less points on three, they'd be in 21st. So that league's already shaping up as it always does. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see the result of that. Uh, and then finally, the mighty Oval Town, uh, Lauro. Um, I'm in the fortunate position to be able to go to that this, uh, this weekend as well uh, against Chelmsford, who's a side I don't think we've played in a competitive game before. So uh, initial thoughts on that? Well... Since we've been on this podcast, Ollie Thomas has just been recalled to Bristol City. Oh, wow. So, and I mean, for our, our listeners, Ollie Thomas is an 18-year-old striker from Bristol City who's really impressed this year to the point where our big sort of um, summer signings in Reese Murphy and Jake Hyde have sometimes found themselves on the bench for him to, to either start or come on. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's taken me back a little bit. Whether we've sort of sent it back in hoping to get some room to bring someone back in. I don't know. But Chelmsford Saturday, they're above us. I think they're unbeaten in the league. They're second. It's a big game. It's the first game that we've had at Hewish Park where it's not like one of these teams that look a little bit non-league, non-league, if you know what I mean, like Tunbridge Angels. They're a good setup, good outfit, got good former EFL players at Chelmsford, and it'll be a tough test. So it'll be the first game. I think if we can get three points, it'll feel massive. And then we can go into the local derby at Western Supermare next Tuesday full of confidence. So 
hoping for three points, but it's probably going to be the most nervy one of the season, I think. Yeah, I, I was really disappointed about Ollie Thomas. I think he looked really, really bright. Didn't obviously start every game for us, but looked a real handful and offered us a pace option that we've not had up there. So I'll be interested to see, as you say, whether that's we've sent him back or whether there's maybe a League Two side or a, a National League side that have thought, you know what, we'll have a bit of that and we'll get him out of National League South footy straight away. Um, yeah, disappointing. But yeah, hopefully three points for the Glovers will reflect next time. Boys, we'll finish up with Spin the Wheels. I introduced it last week. Unfortunately, we had goalkeepers. Loro uh, went on to win last week with two points for Edison, which kind of shows how the, the games went last week. Uh, I managed to pick up a solitary point for Ramsdale and Tomo, who went for his man Onana, uh, got zero points. Uh, to save a bit of time, boys, I've actually spanned the wheel already. Uh, and you just have to trust me on this. that The result was midfielder. Tomo, I'm going to come to you first. Can I have your midfielder and a couple of reasons why, please? Um, yeah, so I've gone for Brian Mbwema, um, one of the highest. He's he's made um, one of the highest point scoring midfielders on the game. So no sort of surprise. Um, main reason being... Bournemouth at home is a great fixture. Then, then they've got three really good fixtures out of the next four. So they've got Newcastle away after that, which obviously is a tough game. Um, then Everton at home, which is basically a bank of three points and a sort of 3-0 win and Buemo hat-trick. And then they've got Forrest away. So I think he's, um, he's one to bring in. But obviously, we're talking about this fixture, Bournemouth at home, Bournemouth, Bournemouth has struggled. So yeah, I think he'll, he'll bag a hat-trick. Happy days. Uh, I'll go second this week, being that uh, I finished second last week. And I'm going to go for Raheem Sterling. Uh, they got Forrest at home. He looked electric against Luton, albeit it was Luton. I think he's going to have a point to prove he's been left out of the England squad, so might have the bit between his teeth even more. Um, yeah, looking in really good form. He did an interview with The Athletic where he said that he sorted his diet out, and, and among a number of other things. So, yeah, he's looking really strong. So I'm going to back Raz to get a double-digit haul. And Loro? Madison. Um, one, he's not in my fantasy football team anymore, so I need a reason to cheer if he does get something. They're playing Burnley, who I think are a little bit shaky at the back. I expect Tottenham to score multiple goals at the weekend, and I would imagine Madison will be a big part of um, those goals if they do happen. So, yeah, I'm going to go for your boy, Madders. Just quickly, cool. can I just jump in there? I've um, I I know I have my head up my ass there, um, and and went oh yeah, like listing off Mbwemo's fixtures as if like we're we're only talking about this Bournemouth at home game, but it is the Champions League draw that's happening right now. So my my attention is elsewhere. So I apologise for that, boys. Yeah, but... that's fine, Tomo. You know, I work hard to bring a feature into the pod to to make it a bit more desirable for everyone, and you work on your laptop in the background, but. There we go. These things happen. Uh, Callum Wilson did a similar thing on his pod. So if he can do it, so can you. Boys, we'll wrap it up there. Been a pleasure as always. We'll be back next week where we'll look at those European draws, any deadline day signings across the country and the results from all the weekend's action. Cheers. One, two, three, four.